Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. All right, church, remember, if you're taking note, the Apostle Paul wrote three letters to the Corinthians. Some say four, but we know of three for sure. Three, read, three letters to the Corinthian church. That's very, very important. Why? Because when you do expository Bible teaching, you want to give the whole context. You want to make sure that, that people understand why Paul wrote the letter. Well, he wrote this letter, and um, if you recall, go back in your mind just a moment. In Acts chapter 18, this is where Paul actually planted the church. So he went out and he planted the church here, and for a brief time, he's there planting, he's teaching, he's raising up elders, he's, this is what he's doing, right? And and then so when he says, okay, so you guys seem to be real good, I'm going to go out and I'm going to plant another church. Well, during that time, Paul actually gets a report, okay, you could call it a report card, if you will, and things aren't going good at the church. And it really breaks his heart. Paul's not like, well, I gave it my best shot. You guys, good luck. He's like, no, no. And, and what was going on, guys, is there was five major problems threatening the church. Now, these weren't like, hey, um, this guy's mad at so-and-so or, or, or the guy on the base is too loud and so we need to dread. No, these were five huge things. Now, we've, we've gone through 1 Corinthians. And so if you're not sure what they are, go back into the podcast and you can see this. But but what's happening is that Paul decides, okay, I need to address this. And so he writes the first letter. It's called 1 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians. So he writes to address those five major problems. Paul sends the letter off and thinking, boy, I got this. This is good. And, and what happens is I'm hoping, Paul says, I'm hoping that the church would see the errors and correct them and just do the opposite. Well, what happens, guys, is that they actually don't see it. They don't correct the errors, and they actually do the opposite of what Paul's telling them to do. And you go, okay, so what was the point, Pastor? Well, let me just remind you this. It stands to remind us that people don't like to be corrected. I mean, it's the truth. Paul says, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to fix it. And they go, Nah, we're going to do our own thing. And they don't actually do that. And I thought, isn't that like us? None of us like to be corrected. The first thing that happens when we're corrected is we start making excuses. Well, that's because. Well, that's because. Well, let me, and, and, and here's the difference, right? There's a difference when we correct somebody lovingly, biblically with a heart, right? Hey, let me, let me just share this. This is a coaching moment. I want to help you grow. And we get all offended. Well, let me tell you. And the first thing we do is we deny. The second thing we do is we find fault in the other person. And that's what they did with Paul. They're like, well, let me tell you, Paul, you, you don't even have authority. You don't even have the credentials. Instead of going, oh, okay. Lord, show me my faults. Show me my shortcomings. Show me when I, where I, where I need to grow. Help me, Lord. And, and this is what's going on, right? But, but it gives us a good feeling where we got to ask ourselves this morning, Lord, it, it, do I like to be corrected? I, I want to grow. Help me. Now, if somebody comes up and says, hey, Jesse, I don't like your beard. Well, that's not correction. That's just being ugly. But I'm talking about biblical growth. That's what the Bible does. The Bible is a mirror to us, and it shows us our heart and our lives. So it wants to correct us and help us to grow to be more like Jesus. The Corinthian church didn't like it. Okay. As a matter of fact, we find out that they rebel against Paul's, uh, basically, they re- rebel against him. They question his, his authority. 
Oh, who is Paul? Who is this? Now, let me unpack it this way, okay? So here you have a church, the Church of Corinth, guys, and they're dealing with some major issues, okay? So stuff is going on. Listen, the Bible tells us that there was a guy in the church who was sleeping with either his stepmom or his mother-in-law, and the elders were okay with it. That's going on in the church. Paul's addressing that, and they're going, no, we... we." So so instead of being corrected, they start to what? They start to question his authority. They start to question his credential. Well, Paul, are you really an apostle? Are you really an apostle? Are you... Now, here's the problem, okay? This is super important. Why? Because here's the thing. Paul understands that that if you question his authority, then you're going to question his message. And the message was more important because it was the gospel. It was the gospel that saved people from the pit of hell. And so, oh, well, Paul, I don't know. Right? If we don't believe the messenger, we hardly believe the message. If we don't trust the messenger, we hardly trust the message. That's what's going on here. Okay? So Paul understood, man, this has eternal effects. This is not just something that they're going, hey, well, well, Paul, you know. They're going, wow. So what does Paul do? I love that Paul follows up with what he calls a painful visit. That's what he calls it. He went over there. It didn't go as planned. It was actually painful because Paul probably had to call out some stuff. He had to go in that church and he had to turn over some tables, if you, if, if you will. He had to say, stop it, man. This is wrong. I mean, we don't have that letter. You go, what do you mean? Well, he comes with a, with a visit, right? And as a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul actually writes to us and he says, So I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. He says, I can't go back there and, and, and do this again. That hurt too much. So what does he do? He follows up with a letter in which he says was written with anguish and tears. You go, Ben, is that, is that the letter? No, no, no. As a matter of fact, we don't have that letter, guys. It seems to be lost. But let me just give you, let me just put a little something in your brain, okay? You go, what? Some scholars, some commentaries believe that chapters 10 through 13 were actually part of the first letter. And if you look at the structure, and I'll show you in a minute, you kind of go, hmm, that, that could be. And, and you go, why? Well, give me just a minute. Let me get there, okay? So what does Paul do? He says, I'm not going to do this. And so what happens is that after all of this, most, not all, the Corinthians realize their arrogance. They get, they, they get, you guys with me? They get convicted. Okay. And so they go, Oh, so they apologize to Paul and they want to reconcile. Paul, I'm, we're sorry, but we are so sorry. Paul, please forgive us. You were right. You came in. You planted this church. You are, Right. So what does Paul do? I love this. Paul writes this letter, 2 Corinthians, to assure them that he loves them and that, and that he forgives them and, and their commitment toward them. That's what he does. Now, if you're taking notes, and, and, and I want you to take notes, this letter was written with three main sections, okay? Chapters 1 through 7, what he does is he finalizes the reconciliation. So what he does is he points to the cross. He says, listen, I forgive you, but remember, we need to keep our eyes focused. Jesus is central. Jesus is central. So chapters 1 through 7, you go, Ben, we're in chapter 7. Yeah, we're going to finish one section. In chapters 8 and 9, Paul is going to address the topic of giving and generosity. Giving and generosity. 
He said, there's some poor folks out there and we need to be able to give. And we're going to see that in the next two chapters. But in chapters 10 through 13, Paul challenges the remaining Corinthians who he calls super apostles. Okay, these guys coming in going, hey, look at me. Hey, I'm a... he's going to challenge them. And he's going to do that in chapters 10 through 13. Now, if you look at the structure, I would think that chapters 10 through 13 would be part of the reconciliation. Okay, I'm going to reconcile you guys. I forgive you. But let me talk about the apostles. But he's going to talk about giving first. So the structure, it could be. Joe, it could be. It could be part of that old letter. But nonetheless, he he tells them. Even in chapter 11, he's like, listen, did you? Have you been in prison? Have you been whipped? Have you been for the sake of the gospel? Have you? And so he goes real deep, and so you can kind of see. Now, what we've done so far is we covered the first six chapters as Paul reconciles with his people. And so to this morning, church, we're going to finish up the final chapter before moving to the second section of generosity in giving in two weeks. So as Paul finalizes reconciling the Corinthians, here's what he reminds them. You ready? He reminds them that just being sorry is not enough, but reconciliation requires true repentance. Pastor, you said a lot of, a lot of religious words. Here's what he's saying. Okay. Let me see if I can put this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, sometimes we're just sorry, but it doesn't change anything. And what he says is, listen, listen, if we're going to be reconciled, if we're going to be family, sometimes it requires more than you just being sorry. It requires a change of heart. Isn't that true in our lives? Anytime that somebody, and, and, and you guys know this, in, in, in domestic disputes, in, uh, oh, baby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it won't happen again. There's no change, and it happens again. You guys know this. I'm not, I'm not preaching anything that you don't know. You guys realize this. Oh, baby, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. The, the world just got the, my work got the best of me. And, and no, and, and that's why they call it abuse. Because, because being sorry is not enough. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying it requires true repentance, a change, a change. How do you know? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, we'll get there in just a moment, but let me give you the latter part. Paul writes, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, here's what it does. It results in spiritual death. Okay? He says, it's, it, it, this, is, this is where it's going. We, we, we can't be sorry. Now, we're going to talk about repentance. And repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. Everybody understand that? But Paul is not, who, who's Paul writing to? He's writing to the church, people who are already saved. So what repentance is he talking about? He's not talking about repentance unto salvation, although we know there is a repentance unto salvation. When we first get saved, we want to repent from the world, turn and follow Jesus. Amen? But Paul's writing to the church, so he wants to, and this is heavy on my heart. Guys, in these last days, I see the the great apostasy. I see the falling away. I see believers going, eh. And Paul's going, repent. You need to come back to Jesus. You need to get fired up. You need to be ready to, to follow. You guys need to be ready to lead. He says, don't get comfortable. Don't get lazy. That's the repentance he's talking about. 
How did it happen? Well, it happened when all of a sudden the government said, hey, we're going to shut down churches. For the safety of y'all, we're going to shut down churches. We're going to go online. And so everybody got home and they had their cup of coffee and it was nice. I mean, we were here, but it was nice. You sat there with your pajamas and your fluffy slippers and everything. You said, man, we, this is church. I can do this. Joe, get me some more coffee. Here come Joe. It was nice. Was it nice, Beverly? But that's not church. That's not church. The problem is, is that even now, people have put the coffee down and they don't even turn on the TV anymore because now it's Sunday. It's like, oh, what a great day. Let's go. And you can see a falling away. And that's what Paul's trying to get to them. He's trying to say, listen, listen. Here's, here's, here's what we got to do. Now, before, I, I, here's what I wrote in my notes. Before we get ahead of ourselves, I've already got ahead of myself, so I need to backtrack, okay? I want to unpack this chapter, okay? Before we do that, let's start with verse 1. Here's what I want you to notice, guys. Do you ever notice that it's out of place? You go, wait a minute. Is it? Yeah, yeah. It's actually like, okay, so in the Bible, we have chapter and breaks, right? We have chapter and verses. And they weren't in there. This is when Paul wrote the letter, there was, he didn't go, let me stop and do chapter seven. And then, no, this happened in the late 1300s. Then they started adding chapters so you know where to go. And then in the 1500s, they started adding verses. Verse one actually should be, I believe, part of chapter six. Because he starts a brand new thought process in verse two. Okay, but we stopped at the end of chapter six because that's our chapter break. And so we have to pick it up in verse one. Okay, so if you're taking notes, verse one should have been the last verse of chapter six. You go, why has that been? Because whenever we see a therefore, we know two things. You go, what's that? We know that a therefore in scripture, ready? is for practical application. God's wanting us to do something. Paul's wanting us to do something. He says, therefore, and then he's going to give us some application. That's the first thing. So whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you go, okay, he's wanting me to do something. Number two is that every time we see a therefore, we need to see what it's there for. So we always have to go back to the previous verse to understand what he's talking about. So let's go back, guys, to the promises of God so that we understand verse 1. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 17 and 18. Paul writes, therefore, so he's telling us what? We got to do something. What is he telling us to do? Okay, church, he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Okay, so this is amazing. Why? Well, the first thing he says is, guys, okay, so as church, we need to come out from among them. Okay, we need to be separate. Now, this is, this is very interesting because God's calling us, church, God's calling us to be separate from the world yet still reach the world. Okay, we got to be separate. We got to be clean. We got to come out, but we still got to reach them. Now that's, we have to be very careful, and I'll tell you why. Listen to me. Listen. I want you to look at the relationships in all your life, and you tell me who's pulling you up and who's pulling you down. Because it's easier for pull, people to pull you down than it is for you to pull them up. So you gotta be very careful. Pastor, I'm not sure what you mean. Here it is. We are, we, we're in the world, we're separate, um, we don't have our holy kumbaya meetings and we don't let anybody else in. But we got to be careful that the world doesn't pull us back into sin. 
Paul says, come on, no, no, be separate. And what happens when we're, what, what happens when we do this? The Lord says to, look at this. He says, then, he says, I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters. I love this. Because here, here's what he says. He says, I'm not just God. I, I'm going to be your father. It's going to be personal. Guys, I don't want to serve a God that I am scared to talk to. I don't want to serve a God that I'm like trembling. It's like, okay, I'm, I don't want to serve a God who's waiting for me to mess up just to hit me over the head with a spiritual billy club. I want to serve a God who's personal and who knows me. And when I do mess up, the Lord Jesus says, Ben, I know we're working on this. Come on, let's go. But Lord, I fell down. I really, I messed up bad. I can barely breathe. And he's like, no, 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 I got you. Because it's because he's my father. He's my father. Okay? Any of you ever, any of <laughs> I'm looking at Liz, but this, this is not for you, Liz. I'm sorry. Any of you ever mess up as a teenager? Ever mess up, do something? Yeah? Religion says, religion says, oh, I've messed up. Don't call dad. Right? But a relationship says, oh, I've messed up. I better call dad. You, you see the difference? When we're teenagers and we mess up, we're like, oh. But if you had a relationship with your dad, you're like, I need to call him because I'm really messed up on this. This is exactly what he's saying. This is what he's saying. Do you see how personal it is? If we're just walking in religion... And we mess up. We don't, want, we don't want God to know. Well, you need to pray. Oh, I can't tell God. No, that was, that was dumb. That was th- but a relationship says, he's my father. I better call him. I better call him. I better call him. When you have a dad, when you have a dad that you have a relationship with, and a friend of yours needs help, what do you do? I need to tell dad about my friend. Dad, my friend's in trouble. Can you help? right there. That's what you do when you pray. I look at Carmen. Uh, She's been praying because she has a personal relationship with God, but she says, Dad, 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 Abba, my my family needs you. My friends need you. Do you see how that works? If it works in the world, practical, then then it works here. And so when you pray, when you intercede for those that are not saved, that's what you're doing. You're saying, Dad, those people need you. And dad goes, okay, I'm going to go help. I'm going to go respond. I'm going to go do this. Therefore, verse 1, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Can I get an amen? Okay, it's too quick to give an amen. You go, why? Because did you see what he just said? He said, therefore, having these promises. Okay, so we have the promises that he's going to be a father to us, and we become his kids, but we have to do two things. Wait, time out, Ben. I didn't think salvation, I didn't think I had to do anything for salvation, but accept the Lord. That's exactly right. But he's talking about being repented back into the family of God. There's a difference. You go, what is it? He says, let us cleanse ourselves. It's something you've got to do. It's something you have to, you let us cleanse ourselves from what, Ben? From all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. And the second thing he wants us to do is perfecting the holiness in the fear of God. Okay, let's, let's unpack it real quick, guys. Let's unpack it, okay? If you'll notice the text, he tells us, because I'm, because I am a personal relationship with God, he says this. He says, 
I have to be the one to do this. We are to wash and cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh as well as the spirit. We do it. You see, from time to time, I will have well-meaning people come to me and go, Pastor Ben, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? I'm struggling with this, 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 this. And, and, and don't get me wrong, there's people who struggle, but there has a point where you go, no, no, I can't pray for you. You need to just cleanse yourself. You need to make those steps. Pastor Ben, I'm struggling with pornography. Then get rid of the computer, man. Cleanse yourself. But, but it's much more than just the flesh. It's the spirit. And you go, okay, so, so, so how do I do this? How do I really cleanse myself, guys? How do we do this? Well, I believe, you ready? We need to be washed with the word of God. We need to be washed with the word of God. As a matter of fact, 1 John 1.7 says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanse us from all sin. Okay, so what does he say? In order to cleanse myself, I need to walk in the light. It exposes all the dark stuff in me. And I already told you I don't like to be corrected, so I don't want the light to show my, my, my flaws. I don't, right? That's why we have filters on Instagram, so we can look good. Nobody wants to see all this. You know, I want Instagram to make the wrinkles go away. But what the light does is it exposes that so that we can deal with it. So that we can confess it. And that's what he said. This is how I cleanse myself, okay? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. It's going to be on the screen up there. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse us. How, guys? By the washing of the water of the word. Okay? So how do we cleanse ourselves? We need to be washed in the word. We need to be washed in the word. This is why Calvary Chapel Lubbock has an emphasis in teaching the word of God. Guys, listen. I don't want to be a motivational speaker. I want to teach you the Bible. I want to give you the foundation because I know, listen to me, I know the hard times are going to come. I know they're coming. I know there's coming a time in our country where we might be persecuted for our faith. Where they might say, if you go to church, you're going to jail. Wait a minute, that almost happened in California this past week. We're going to be persecuted. You need to have the foundation, guys in which your house stands. That's, that's what we do. That's what we do. So how does one cleanse ourselves? Guys, first and foremost, we cleanse ourselves. We have to just get rid of those things that are, that are, that are tripping us up. But we also have to be washed in the Word of God. I guess the best illustration is this. I never, I never leave home without my phone. A lot of us don't either, do they? And if we drive off the phone and, and, and we drive off the, par, off the, uh, the garage, we're, oh, my phone, and we'll drive back. That's, that's it. That's my computer. That's my means of communication. That's, I, need, I, I need this. What if they need me? I don't know about you. Anybody probably 45 and younger doesn't remember that we never had cell phones before. And if you drove off without, you didn't have a phone, so you drove off. You go, Pastor, what's your point? Why are you, why are you tripping on the phone? You, because I want the Bible to be like their phone. I, I don't want to leave without it. Because if I have 
30 seconds at a stoplight, I'm going to wash myself. If I have to go to the doctor's office and I know it's going to be a wait, what do I do? I could do this. And I could get all the meat, though, in the world. Or I could really try to wash myself with the Bible. I'll tell you what happens nine times out of ten. Hey, man, what's your rating? Oh, it's funny you should ask. Can I just share with you? Guys, when did we stop winning souls? When did we stop? God's called everyone. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting off. I'm sorry. Let's just get back to the text or we'll be here. We'll be here. So we need to cleanse ourselves. That's what he says. And what happens when you cleanse yourself, guys? Well, the cleansing happens this. It's perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The cleansing away impurity is a positive step towards holiness. It's not enough just to begin. The end crowns the work. What, do you, what does that mean? We finish well. We finish well. This is what he's saying. Therefore, he says, having these promises, we got them. He said, beloved. Don't you just love that? Why? Because Paul's not mad at us. He's going, he calls us beloved. He's family. He says, having these promises, beloved, he says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. Yeah, the spirit perfecting the holiness in the fear of God. Now, that, I believe, belongs to chapter 6 because he's, therefore, because in chapters now 2 and 4, he's going to go back to his defense of being an apostle that started back in chapter 2. And you go, how? Because he starts repeating the desire for the Corinthian church to open up their hearts. He says, okay, guys, come on. And so what he does, guys, is he's going to defend his behavior. Okay? He's going to defend his motivation. And basically, he's going to finalize his confidence in the Corinthian church. So chapter, verse 1 of chapter 7 is kind of like belongs over here. And so now, new thought process. Okay? Paul's not like, oh, squirrel, and he's talking about something else. You know what I'm talking about? He says, okay, I finished this. Let's cleanse ourselves. Everybody with me? We want to walk in holiness of God, in the, in the perfecting of holiness. And everybody goes, amen. The problem is, church, is it's harder than just saying amen. Because it takes self-reflection where we go, okay, God, where am I with you? And if you're sincere, God begins to reveal to you those things in your heart, and now you've got to deal with them. So his thought process is coming. It's changing. Look at verse 2. Paul writes to this church. He says, open your heart to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Don't you love the heart of Paul? Okay, if, if you want something practical to take home, do this. Regardless of what your children do or a coworker does, I mean, things that are just not, find the positive in them. Find the positive. In business, we were taught that if you're going to reprimand somebody, you give them five positives before you tell them what they were going to, what you're going to reprimand them for. That's how we were taught in business. So, so you need to find that. This is what Paul's doing. Paul's going, listen, I'm not mad at you guys. I'm not, I, I, I'm not mad at you. Open up your heart. Guys, we didn't do anything wrong. As a matter of fact, I've been both, I mean, think about this. If, 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 if we're going to have reconciliation, I want to comfort you guys. I want to encourage you. This is what he's saying. 
And you go, well, how did Paul get encouragement? Well, the problem was is that Titus finally came back with a great report. And Paul says, guys, I have the highest confidence in you. Wait a minute. Paul said he had the highest confidence, but this church was a mess. Hence our series, Messy Church. It was a mess. It was, it was a lot like us. We gotta find, we gotta, we got, we've gotta do better, guys, in encouraging people. We gotta do better in loving people back to life. Okay? There's a lot, it's, it's, it's gonna happen, and it's only gonna get worse in our world. We've gotta do a better job of loving them. You don't have to like or condone what they're doing, but you gotta love them and say, man, listen, God has more for you. And I know what you're doing is gonna lead you down, down a path of destruction, but listen to me, God has more for you, please. Can we meet for coffee? Can I just share what I see? And the people that get saved, the people who come forward are the ones that go, you know what, they cared enough to really tell me the truth. And, and we got to do a better job. This is what Paul does. He says, man, I have the highest confidence in you. He says, I take great pride in you. And you, listen, you have greatly encouraged me. He said, despite all our troubles, you guys have encouraged me. You don't know how that is. Week after week, I'll be up here. Two times a week, when we were at two services, two, three times a week, and I'll be preaching, I'll be preaching, I'll be preaching. And when God knows, I'll get a text from a sister who say, that was on, that was good, and it's so encouraging. It was, it's probably in the darkest time when I'm just like, God, I don't even know, I don't even know if people are getting it, man. I don't even know if they're listening. I'll get a, I'll get a text from a sister or a brother in the Lord, and they'll say, that was a good message today. I'll say, oh. That's so good. It's so good. Now, I'm just saying that. Don't text me today, right? Because then I'll know, okay, you just said that because of the man. Come on now. But, uh, but uh, I love that because he said, despite our troubles, man, you, you, guys, you guys still encourage me. You still encourage me. As Paul moves on, guys, in the text in, in verses 5 through 16, um, he's kind of returning back to his, his travel details, right? And basically his defense. And um, he's going to defend his apostleship under the new covenant, okay? And let's just be honest. Paul could bury them in a second. Because Paul says, hey, did you spend time with Jesus? Because I did. He was on the road to Damascus. Do you? I mean, Paul, Paul was a Pharisee. Guys, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisee. He was teaching at a young age. He memorized practically the whole Old Testament. But he doesn't, does he? He goes, let me just, let me just defend this under the new covenant. This is what he does. And so, in your minds, guys, go back to chapter 2, verse 13, because this is what he says, okay? He said, I had no rest in my spirit because I didn't find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave to them, I departed for Macedonia. Okay, if you're taking notes, guys, in, he wrote, 1 Corinthians in Ephesus, and he's writing this letter from Macedonia. But he's really bummed, okay, because he wants to know how the letter went. Now, in your mind, in your mind, that doesn't compute because we have Internet, we have Facebook, we have text, we have calls. If you want to know something, okay, tell me how it went. Titus, where are you, bro? 
Who are you? Really? How'd it go? How'd they respond? Yes, they did. All right. All right. Okay, man. Shoot me a text. Okay, man. I'll talk to you later. That's how we do. But back then, he had to wait. He had to look for, where's Titus? Where's Titus? Oh, man. Why is he so upset, Liz? Why is he upset? Because here's why. Because he loved the people. He planted the church, and he loved the people. You see, when he wrote the letter, he saw the, the Rosas, and he saw... The Vons and he saw and he and he saw and he goes, oh, oh, my heart. I, I just want to make sure they're okay. I want to make sure they're okay. Where's Titus? Where's Titus? Where's Titus, man? This is what he says, right? And then he says in verse five, guys, of chapter seven, he says, "For indeed, when I came to Macedonia, he said our bodies had no rest." But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Let me stop right there. You guys don't understand what happens when you go in the ministry. This is exactly what Paul said. Paul says, man, we don't have any rest. He says, man, we're, 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 there's outside, there's inside. I mean, it's, it's a wave of emotions. You see, pastors can have a huge wedding and be so rejoiced, and, and, and two people get married and pledge their love before God, and it's amazing, and then later on that day, bury a child. You go up like this, man. It's, it's just... You see, guys, when somebody leaves the church or somebody decides to get mad at you, it's not just like, oh, well, they're mad. You understand, this is eternity in the balance. And I've told you this before, it's never been about Calvary Chapel, but it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, and that you still stay with Jesus. Listen, we can handle you leaving Calvary Chapel. What we can't handle is you leaving the Lord. We can't. And so God is saying right here, he says, man, we have troubles. But he says, let's check this out, nevertheless... God who comforts the downcast. Can I get an amen? amen? He said, comfort us by the coming of Titus. Guess what? Then I saw Titus. Okay. You guys know what courage is? Courage, right? It's, it's part of the word of being encouraged, but courage. Do you know where courage comes from? Some of us feel like, I've got this courage inside of me. Courage is from other people. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Courage is from other people who say, you can do it. This is why a husband and wife team are so important, because they encourage each other. When Jesse goes, I can't do this, Sarah goes, yes, you can. Yes, you can. And he goes, you think so? You, you see? That's, that's it. But also friends. Friends can offer that courage. You know, hey guys, I'm really, I'm really stressed. I don't know if I can continue on. This is really hard. COVID and everything. Then I have people who go, no, Ben, we're with you. Let's go. Let's go, man. You think so? Yeah, let's go. We're behind you. We're behind you. That's courage. Oh, Beverly Mabry over there, she. Likes to joke a lot. You know, I don't know if you know this or not. She likes to joke a lot. But um, whenever I go to another church to teach, she looks at me. She goes, you're coming back, right? And I say, I don't know, Beverly. Maybe not. And she says, well, then take me with you. 
That's courage. Because what she's saying is, Pastor, I'm with you. I'm with you. You see how that works? This is what he's saying. There's Titus. And not only his coming, verse 7 says, but also the consolation in which he was comforted in you when you told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me. So I rejoiced even more. Guess what? Titus came in and said, you guys repented? He said, you got the message? You got it? Yes. Wow. Wow, this is exactly what he says. Paul says, that painful letter, that painful visit, all of that, he said, it, it did what I wanted it to do. He says, they repented of their sin. They disciplined their members who had created the problems. We got it working out. We got it working out. And so I love this because Paul gets real, right? He gets real with the church and he opens up his heart. Look at verse 8. He says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. What did Paul say? Here's what he said. He says, now I am glad I sent it but not because it hurt you. My intent wasn't, wasn't to hurt you. He says, but I'm glad because the pain caused you to repent and to change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have. So he says, you are not harmed by us in any way. Why, Ben, why? Because verse 10 tells us this, guys. Godly sorrow produced repentance. Worldly sorrow, it just produces death. It does. How many times I get in here and people go, Pastor, you stepped on my toes. You stepped on my toes. Did it make a change? Yeah, amen. 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 Guys, we're all headed to the same place. We just want to help everybody get there. We just, and that's what he says. He says, listen, I sent you this letter, man, and I didn't do it to, to make you mad or anything. He says, but, but I wanted it so that you could, you could repent. Because if you were just sorry, then, then that's going to, he says, that actually produces spiritual death. If you're just sorry. Nothing wrong with being sorry about something, but if it doesn't produce change, then you're just sorry. And we can take sorry and we can manipulate it, can't we? Because you can do something wrong, Madge, you know this, you can do something wrong and then say, well, I'm sorry you felt that way. Well, you're not sorry for what you did, you're sorry that the other person, and I mean, you can take something that and make it really like, well, I'm sorry you, you took it the wrong way. I've had people do that. You're just like, wait, you're the one who ran over my bike, you know? What do you mean you're sorry I felt this way? Well, I'm sorry your bike was in the way. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, he's saying this, guys. He's saying, godly sorrow 
we also known as conviction. When we get convicted, it's a beautiful thing. Now, can, can we be honest in church? Rosa, can we be honest in church? Let's be honest in church. We should be like this a lot, shouldn't we? Because we're, we're, we stumble a lot when we say the wrong things and we're just sinners and we're just like, oh, you may. We should, we should often be saying, you know what, I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? That was, I had a bad attitude. Or sorry, I rolled my eyes at that state. Whatever it might be, but we should always be constantly asking for forgiveness. Because progressive sanctification means we're becoming more like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we're aware of our sin. The more I walk with Jesus, the more I go, oh, I'm dirty. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Ow. Whereas to worldly sorrow, it, it leads to death. Worldly sorrow, right? When you're just sorry. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you ever were doing something wrong and you knew it, but you didn't stop until you got busted? The Holy Spirit comes in and convicts you, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Hey, don't do this. But it wasn't until you got popped. that you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Guys, think about this, right? Think about this. This usually happens when, 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 when people, when, when men or women have affairs. Okay, they know what's wrong, that God has been putting roadblocks and, and hurdles to stop them, but it isn't until they get caught. And then they're like, I'm so sorry. No, 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 see, that conviction before was causing you to turn and say, no, I need to stop this now. I need to stop this now. Conviction, ready, church? Conviction is a beautiful thing. When it's understood, it's conviction is good. I'm so convicted, man. I'm so, we call it busted. I'm so busted, man. Yeah, do something with it. Because that's, that was the purpose. That was the purpose. Repentance, guys, is from God and is a sorrow that draws people closer to God. And it brings them to the place, guys, of confessing and forsaking their sin. That's what it is. That's repentance. Regret? Just being sorry? It's from the world. And guess what? It drives people away from God into the hands of Satan. You go, no. Yeah, let me give you an example. Okay, two people in the Bible. You ready? Peter. Do you remember when Peter was busted? Right? He denied the Lord. He did. Listen, do you realize he denied the Lord? They cussed Peter. Well, he's a fisherman. He probably did, right? He probably knew some words. But he was like, at the third time, he's like, I don't know him. And then he's like, oh. And he went out and he was, he was, Godly sorrowful, and he repented. I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. And it changed him, right? The other person is Judas. When Judas realized what he did, he had worldly sorrow, and it didn't produce a change. He just he was just sorry. We've had those debates, Nick. We've had those debates. Hey, is Judas in heaven? Well, based on the text, he was sorrowful, but there wasn't repentance. I pray. As he hung there, I pray that he said, God, forgive me, because I know my Jesus would. I know my Jesus would. He would. But we don't know. We don't know. So the question is, do Christians need to repent? Jesus said we do in Luke chapter 17. 
Paul agrees with this later on in the chapter, chapter 12. Think about this, guys. In the book of Revelation, four of the seven churches in Asia Minor are commanded to repent. You go, Ben, what exactly does repent mean? It means to change one's mind. To change one's mind. Okay? What happens when you change your mind? What happens is it goes from here to here. And if you change your heart, it changes your behavior, doesn't it? This is exactly what he's saying. Christians need to repent, guys. Christians need to repent. Not in order to be saved. You're saved because salvation isn't based upon repentance. It's based upon belief. If you believe in your heart and confess him, you'll be saved. Can I get an amen? But to walk closer to Jesus, to have that fellowship where you go, he's my Abba, he's my dad. He says, we've got to turn from those things, guys. We've got to turn. We've got to walk closer in fellowship. The Lord is telling us we need to repent to come back to God, to serve him with a pure heart. As your pastor, guys, I see, I see, I do see the apostasy. I see a growing number of Christians walking away from God. And they're not standing up and going, that's it, I, they're, they're just slowly being just, just, church isn't important anymore. Uh, God isn't a priority anymore. Don't let that be us. Don't let that be us, guys. Listen, we have been deceived enough. Okay? We have. When the disciples in Matthew 24 asked Jesus, what's, gonna, what's, what's, what's all this going to be like, right? What was this first thing he said? He didn't say you're going to see earthquakes. He didn't, say, he didn't say that first. What did he say? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And so listen, if you're watching online or you're listening via podcast, listen, now is the time to come home. It's time to repent, come back to Jesus. No matter where you are, listen to me, no matter where you are, God's not mad at you right now. He's madly in love with you and he wants you to come home. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, repent, change your mind, come back to God. We should see in these next few months the greatest revival we've ever seen. We should see it as people start turning and saying, man, I've got to get right with God. God took our, he, he took away our idols only for us to resurrect them again. God took away some things. I mean, but we, we should be focused on God. Well, Ben, wait, 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 time out, time out. You're the pastor. Of course you're going to say that. But real world people who get jobs every day, no, 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 every one of us, God is calling us, no matter if you're a pastor or whatever it is, that our focus should be Jesus, no matter what. This is what he's saying. We need to repent. And I'm, I'm telling you, come home. Come back. Well, in verse 11, as we continue, he says, For observe the very thing that sorrowed you in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you? What clearing of yourselves? What indignation? What fear? The vehement desire? What zeal? The vindication? In all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Guys, guys, think about what it was. He says, look what it did in you. Changed you. And that's exactly, guys, when, when you surrender your lives to God here, this is exactly, what did the word of God do? Man, it changed me. 
And I have purposed at every message, at every sermon, everywhere, anywhere I'm at, I'm going to give an opportunity for people to surrender. I always do. And the reason why is because I know the Word of God can do that. He says, look at the very thing that sorrowed you. Look at the very thing that made you sad. God used it. And sometimes people will come to church and say, I don't want to go to church because I I feel like the pastor was picking on me. It's almost like he knew exactly what I was going through. But if you'll take that and say, this is God, he knows exactly. How many of you, honestly, have said, that that pastor was in my living room today. I'm telling you, he, he was, we were just talking about, how did he know? How did he know? It's God. And if God loves me that much, oh, I love it. Paul said, it works. It works. Y'all repented, and I forgave you, and we've been reconciled together. Now, here comes the application, verse 12. Therefore, I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done anything wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. I love this. Paul says, man, I wrote this letter to make it plain to you. In God's sight, how deep my love is for you. He says, I didn't write this letter to, to point out the guy who, who was messing up or, or anybody. He says, I did it because I just love you. I just love you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. We rejoice exceedingly for the, the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by y'all. Don't you just love that? Titus comes back and he's like, you won't believe what happened in Corinth. Those guys, they repented. This is so cool. They're on fire. They're just, man, this is great. They're loving each other. You know that dude that was messy? He, they kicked him out. They said, no, 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 you need to repent. You need to go, bro. And now the church has gotten stronger in the fellowship. They're going out to lunch together. They're, they're, listen, they're not practicing social distancing. They're just loving each other, man. That's what Paul's saying. Titus came back. He's just refreshed. He's just refreshed. He says, For in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so boasting to Titus is found true, and his affections were greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Guys, do you see that? You see that? He's like, man, I am so blessed. And I love what... The Apostle John says, the Apostle John says, man, he says, nothing thrills, I'm paraphrasing, okay, nothing thrills my heart better than to see my people walking, to see my kids walking, and nothing says to serving the Lord. He says nothing. And I know that as a shepherd. I know that as a pastor. When people come up to me and go, Pastor, look, this is the word of God. It's on my life. It showed me. I'm like, ah, my kids are walking in the word of God. It's so cool. What do you mean your kids, Ben? You're not that old. I know. That's strange. But I love it. And this is what Paul says. This is what Paul says. And he says, man, I am happy now. I'm happy now because I have complete confidence in you. Let me just share this real quick and then we'll close, okay? There are people who feel like, it's strange, they'll, they'll leave the church, they'll, they'll leave our church for a season. And then they don't want to come back because they feel like, is it okay if I come back? And it's like, absolutely. Are you kidding me? How happy I am to see you. 
I never wanted you to leave in the first place. But I have confidence in you that you're walking with the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is going, man, are you kidding me? Although we had troubles, ah, good to see you. So good to see you. And the devil comes in and says, you know what? The way you left, the way you did, da-da-da-da-da, they're not going to want you there. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to, Pastor Ben's going to fold his arms and be like, really, what are you doing here? That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, wow, I'm so glad you're back. Now let's not go back and forth. Let's go forth. Let's get, let's get served. Let's start serving. So as we close, guys, as we close, Paul's final he finalizes the forgiveness and the reconciliation with the church, okay? And we're reminded as well, what's that? God calls us to cleanse ourselves into holiness, right? First John 1, 9, do you guys remember this? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to, that's, that's our first thing. We need to cleanse ourselves. Confess those things, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry, I messed up. The second thing he does, listen to me, he calls us to repent and to turn back to him. If you've walked away from God, if he's not a priority in your life, listen, it's no mistake you're here. God says it's time to come home. You need to do that, though. Nobody can do it for you. And and I'm I'm pleading with you in my spirit. We don't have much time, guys. I don't want you to wake up one morning and go, where is everybody? I need to call. I need to call. I want you to be going. Today's the day I get saved. Today's the day I follow him. God is reconciling his people back to himself, guys. Listen to me. Listen. I used to say we were in the fourth quarter, okay? We got two minutes, fourth quarter. Listen, we're in overtime. We're in overtime. Ben, what happens if God waits another 20 years to return? 20 years is not a long time, guys. But I'm telling you, it's not going to be 20 years. It's not going to be 20 years. As a matter of fact, I want all of you today to look to the east when you leave here. Because it might be today you see his eyes, you see his face. Ben, hold on. What if, what if Wednesday night we're back in church and Jesus doesn't come back today? That's because people are still getting saved. And he's waiting for that last one to say yes. So if you're watching online or you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to God, you've surrendered parts of your life. You've surrendered little bits. You pray, you, you believe in the Bible, you've surrendered. But God is knocking on your heart right now, so he's telling you, surrender all your life. Today. That's what he's asking you to do. So in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity, just between you and the Lord, to say yes to Jesus. To, to surrender completely and to give your life to him. That's what it's all about. Because my Jesus died on the cross for you. He died on the cross. He took a horrible death, guys. Excruciating pain. He was buried. Three days later, he resurrected. And as he resurrected means we get resurrected too. So if you want that hope, you got to put your faith and trust in him. But what happens is it happens all the time. There's a, there's a spiritual battle going on. Oh, what are people going to say? What is going to do? Oh, this is embarrassing. You know what? 
You need to put all that aside and say, no, I believe and I will follow. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word this morning. We thank you for 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We thank you for all the beautiful nuggets that we're able to take. But Lord, none of that means anything unless, unless the people are yours, unless they're believers, God. See, the believers here, God, today took those nuggets and they're going to apply them. They're going to repent. They're going to come back to you. They're going to be excited to follow you. But there might be somebody watching online. There might be somebody here that uh, just needs to come home. And the invitation to come home is wide open. Please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, begin to work on the hearts of people. Hey, with every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anybody here that would say, Pastor, what you were saying, man, it makes total sense. But i got to be honest with you. I don't have that relationship you were talking about. I don't. And I'm... I'm I'm worried. I may not be. I, I, I may not go. I don't want to be left behind. So what do I have to do, Pastor? What do I have to do? I'm ready to respond. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus once and for all. I'm ready to follow him. I don't want to be left behind. I know he's coming. I see it. And if that's you, let me just tell you, you may feel like you're a million miles away right now, but you're one decision to come back. He's going to do a work that you that, that is unbelievable. Like what? I'm going to ask you to just simply lift your hand. Well, why do I have to lift my hand? Because God wants to see your heart. And by you lifting your hand, you're saying, I am all in. I'm all in. I want Jesus right now, forever. And if that's you, just lift it up right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. Nobody else will see. Just lift up your hand. God bless you, sister. God bless you. God bless you, sister, to my right. God bless you, brother, in the back. Anybody else? Lift up your hand saying, I want all in. I want Jesus completely. I'm giving my life to God today. I don't want to be left behind. I want to follow him. Anybody else? Father, I thank you for these hands that were raised. I pray your Holy Spirit would move mightily. I pray today is the day of salvation. And I pray that they would respond accordingly. If you lift up your hand, would you just, would you just pray this prayer in your heart? Something like this. Say, Lord God, I failed you. I'm a mess. And I'm far from you. But you've given me an invitation to come back, and that's what I want to do. And I believe in you, God. I believe that you died for me, Lord. And I'm going to confess that. And please, come into my life. Please come in right now. I give you full control. Not only are you my Savior, but you're my Lord. I trust you. Lord Jesus, by, by my faith in the authority of your word, if you were to come back today, I would go. So I'm asking you today, God, would you, would you come into my heart? Forgive me of my sins. Make me clean. I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my Savior, and to be my friend. Not only that, Lord, but your word says to be my Papa, to be my Dad, to be my Father. I believe that with all of my heart. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you pray that prayer, welcome, welcome, welcome. We just so rejoice in that. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer if online, if you if you just if you if you that's you, man, we want to know about it. We want to walk with you if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible, we want to get you started on the right step. We love you, we love you, we love you. We're gonna worship and then we're gonna dismiss. God bless you. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. 
I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.